One must go back to the 19th century to witness a time when the American labor movement had fewer private sector workers in various collective bargaining units. But SUNY Oneonta history professor Bill Simons says that the public sector unions in this country are thriving. And he knows, because he just concluded negotiating a new contract for more than 800 workers at SUNY Oneonta. Bill Simons is the immediate past president of the Oneonta chapter of United University Professions. Bill, it, uh, I've been here for 15 years, and that seems like a long time, but your relationship with the union that represents the professors that I'm a part of has been here longer than that. Well, it has. I've been a member of the union since I first arrived on campus. It was a long time ago. In terms of being president of the union, I've been president for 16 years. Uh, before that, I did a long stint as vice president. Uh, before that, I was a delegate and so on. So uh, I've been part of United University Professions, UUP, uh, the Oneonta chapter, for a long time. And although I, w- I did not run for re-election, 16 years a lot, 16 years, 16-hour days, that doesn't end my relationship with the union, but it does end my time as president, which was uh, 2003, and it will run down to uh, 11.59 p.m. on May the 30th. 2019. And the past uh, year or two, it seems to me, is particularly arduous and momentous in the, uh, because of the multi-year contract that got negotiated this most recent year. Tell well, me a little bit about the difficulties in get, making that happen and what the satisfying parts are. Well, there always are um, you know, difficulties in any given year, and the contract would only be one of them, but that's something that comes up every Uh, five or so years. So that would not be new. And even the fact that we went two years without a contract would not be unique. Uh, Frustrating, yes. Calling for a lot of energy, yes. Calling for a lot of intensity, uh, yes. But uh, not unique. Uh, The contracts are very rarely a piece of cake. And uh, it's important not to sign until we have a good contract. Not to have a contract that we can in good conscience ask the members to support and not to have a contract until the members are ready to vote affirmatively, you know, on, on something. So, um, obviously, this is a time, and but there have been other, other, other times when there are fiscal considerations. Uh, we're always trying to uh, push the envelope to make conditions uh, better. Uh, there were some things on this contract that I think uh, were quite good. Um, we never—but it's negotiating. It's yes. not as though you say to the state of New York that uh, we want A, B, C, D, and they say, oh, why don't you tell that yesterday? We would just push the button, and you have it. Uh, if I might, though, um, so, you know, I don't exaggerate my own role in the contract. Our contracts, unlike K-12 contracts, public school districts, yeah. which are public school district by public school district, our contract is a, essentially... A, although we have a lot of negotiations on campus, and we have some right now that are very much um, engaged, but our basic our contract is a statewide contract that covers all of the uh, UUP SUNY units. Love, roughly 38,000 people? Roughly 38,000 people, so that's a lot. Um, and I'll come back to that if you'd like me to, about where those numbers come from. But in terms of the contract, it, it begins with the membership 
of doing intake on all of our campuses. What are our goals? What are the problems? What are the concerns? What are the hopes? What are the fears? And we do uh, intake that all of the campuses, Oneonta not unique among that, but certainly we do uh, you know, a strong job on that. We hold meetings, open meetings of our membership, open to our entire membership, and we listen, we listen carefully. And uh, the next step is that there is a contract uh, negotiations committee. Now, I've been on the negotiations committee through many different cycles of contracts, including this one, and it's that committee that looks at the various things that uh, have been proposed on campuses. And we're a diverse union. We have a maritime. We have optometry. We have hospitals. We have colleges of technology. There are 64 campuses. 64, although we don't negotiate the contract for all 64. But nonetheless, that um, uh, because some have their primary contract with counties rather than with the state of uh, New York, but nonetheless, it's very uh, uh, complex given the number of types of units, university centers. And uh, what the contract committee does, and each campus has representation on that, and I've been Onea- one of the two Oneonta representatives through a number of contract cycles. And what we do is we try to prioritize, uh, take a look at the arguments, try to set an agenda, try to set our, our goals. Uh, try to create a taxonomy, try to get a good understanding. And then there is a committee, relatively modest in size, uh, that may be about 15 or so people or so, which is the actual negotiations team that goes in and negotiates with the state of uh, New York. There is a chief negotiator. We usually have our... um, the counsel to the president, counsel to the statewide president, or the uh, head of field services, part of that professional staff member, you know, with with a contract, uh, a knowledge of contract law, who would be part of that process as well. And that's a process that, uh, you know, takes takes time. Uh, this time at two years, we were late, actually, to be more precise, about two years and two months, if you remember, Tim, it was in September of 2019. Well, it seems to me that 10 years before that uh, was probably the nadir of uh, the fortunes of the state of New York and indeed the entire country. It was known as the financial crisis. Right. Uh, School districts throughout the state were contracting and laying off teachers. And I would imagine that played a role in the difficulty of negotiating the most recent agreement, which succeeded it. They're um, obviously that the you know state of New York is negotiating on a variety of different uh, platforms and a variety of different venues. Having said that, uh, I think it was a good contract. Uh, you know, in this year alone, uh, that the increase across the board is six point one percent, and in the real world and in these circumstances, that's not bad. However, obviously, we need to acknowledge. That includes the making up That's right. for the two years, two years that where, there was, cry, where there was contract. not a contract. But nonetheless, uh, we, in we— effect, In effect, it was 22222, which represented, at the very least, an inflation rate adjustment. In the real world, that wasn't bad in this year to have, you know, 6.11%. So it's, it's a long contract, as you know. Uh, it's, you know, very detailed— contract, but that's one of the many things that we do, and all of the chapters, you know, play a role of it, the chapter leaders, 
you know, pl- play a role within that. And then it goes, uh, the next step, once there is a preliminary uh, contract, that it goes before the membership, the statewide uh, negotiating team, and the statewide president, you know, visit each campus, the state, the chapter, uh, UEP Oneonta calls a meeting, as they do at other campuses, questions, comments, uh, thoughts, uh, and in the end, there's a ratification vote. And so that's one of the things that we do, and uh, that provides the basic uh, framework. But there are a lot of things on campus. You know, as uh, Tip O'Neill once said, all politics is local. And on this given day, that there are a number of things that are specifically going on right now. We're in the midst of new chapter elections, which are important, and will have a lot to do with uh, where we go as a chapter. Uh, We also are involved in a workload survey. That survey was designed, implemented, uh, will be tabulated, and hopefully uh, lead to the type of discussion and outcomes that uh, are productive. Uh, That was done by this chapter, workload survey. We're in the midst of it. In fact, it comes to— I just filled that out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you, Tim. And as you can see, that's a professional caliber. We've done many surveys— that survey and so many others we've done have been uh, designed on campus. The vote to do them has come, you know, on campus. So we have uh, that coming. We're also involved in several different uh, what are called memorandum of understanding negotiations right now, and one of them is pretty close to fruition. Uh, and memorandum of understandings are when we have permission from the statewide president to engage in negotiation, why we would need beyond just simple protocols because... On the local level. On the local level. These are undertaken on the local level. Um, As I say, that these, and we have one that you may be aware of with the course evaluation instrument is going on. That's a local negotiation. We have a negotiation in terms of uh, uh, renewal, promotion, tenure, going on on the local level, and then we have a negotiation going on in terms of uh, contingents, which uh, is going on right now. These are going on simultaneously. These are pretty intense. Uh, these are very detailed. These are things that sometimes go on in you know many different sessions. UUP is the uh, entity, sole, sole entity for negotiating terms and conditions you know, of our membership. And so we, you have a macro function when it comes to the global contract that um, satisfies 38,000 members, and then you have uh, the more parochial issues that might exist at SUNY Oneonta, which are no less important and perhaps more so to individual members of this bargaining unit. Of whom there are about 813. Although, let's check the calendar and check the membership <laughs> because people retire and other things happen. And yeah. professionals who are unlike academics Professionals are not hired at the beginning of a semester, but we have about roughly 813 members here, and we also enforcing the contract. There are a number of personnel matters that may come up in any given week, on any given day, about that specific individuals are having problems, and those problems cover a great range of things. So, So you're the complaint department as well. Well, no, I would say, well, the union, because the union is... It's all of us in solidarity. Uh, one of the things that uh, we have, they have statewide, but we have here 
and only entourage we have a team because otherwise it doesn't work. If it were one individual, that individual would be breathing out of plastic tubes. Uh, it's, there's just too much. Uh, for me to mass that, now the president has to be able to communicate and understand everyone's domain and ultimately needs to sign off. But for example, and, and we can talk about any of these areas that you like, uh, Tim, but for example, that we have a treasurer who you know, has very good training, both by UUP and by prior antecedents. And the, the tre- treasurer, in terms of dealing with our income, and our expenses has to be able to withstand outside auditing. And in this day and age, that's a very important thing. Absolutely. And he does an excellent job. So I have to be able to understand, and I have to go over with him the budget goals. The budget then would have to be ratified by the exec board, and then it would have to be ratified by the chapter as a whole. We have a chapter meeting, but I do go over very carefully line item. I do have to sign uh, you know, most of the checks and sign off for the expenses, but I'm, cl- I'm not the chief fiscal officer. Um, likewise, we have an uh, individual development award grants that UUP negotiated for, and these, co- and these are specifically administered by a joint committee of three members of UUP, appointed by me, three members of the administration, appointed by the college uh, president, but I would not make myself the chief UUP representative to the IDA um, because, again, that's very time-consuming. We're proud that a lot of people, a lot, our goal with the Individual Development Awards grants is to get good grants funded, but also as much as possible to widely disperse the funding so that while no, so no individual may get a tremendous amount of money, a lot of individuals are getting a substantive amount of money. Well, I'm getting, feeling better about the $500 a year that I pay to be a member of UUP. Oh, okay. I've great. always been pro-union. Thank you. But I'd be derelict in my duty if I didn't ask you how that money gets used. Well, one of the ways in which it gets used is for our professional staff. I had someone the other day who asked that specific question who needed professional representation, and that person uh, was ultimately put into the hands of our labor relations specialist. And we maintain, uh, through NYSUIT, there are NYSUIT attorneys, there are professional labor relations specialists, you're wearing glasses. And uh, those glasses came for... they were paid for, for by my union. They were. And we directly, through, although we have a vendor, obviously, David is Vision, we have a benefits office. That benefits office, you know, come, you know dues money goes to support that. So that... I also uh, go to the dentist. The dent- dental program, we directly... Now, there are many um, benefits that come directly through the state, but vision and dental are directly administered by UUP, and we have a grants office. And any given day, I have somebody who says, well, you know, I dealt with this dentist. Are they a participating provider, or is this benefit covered? Now, again, I refer these unless it's one, <coughs> excuse me, Tim, that I have direct knowledge of. We have a benefits department, a professional benefits department. There's a good deal of literature that goes with it. We have some people who, if I could go on another level, some people aren't aware of the centers of excellence for people who have a certain cancer, you know, in particular. And we have people who have gone to the centers of excellence. And there's a lot of detailed information what they cover. By the way, pretty good stuff, even including transportation and other matters. But wherever there are good programs, or even bad programs, 
there's paperwork. Yes, of course. And so uh, the de- our benefits office would be something that would be maintained. We have professionals. That would be too much to ask volunteers to deal with the detailed information of maintaining a benefits office. It would be too much, in ter- and you would need people professionally trained with contractual training, legal training, uh, to deal with our uh, field services who pr- essentially provide our ultimate uh, legal, you know, re- contractual representation, our la- labor services, our publications. Uh, that would be another area that uh, would come from the dues money, our ability to program, uh, whether it be when we pride ourselves that to be effective, you have to go out into the community. And we have done from uh, workshops on Down syndrome, on autism, to um, uh, retirement planning, Mm. We brought people in. We had that recently in retirement planning, which we had at that meeting, I, well, well over 50 people. And many of our programs have that sort of attendance. And people were given very good professional knowledge of what you need to do for retirement planning, and it doesn't begin the day before you're going to retire. That's in true. fact, the best thing That's is— the wrong, wrong thing to do. The wrong thing. Ideally, it begins not years but decades before someone retires. So that we do have professionals in various areas— we also have responsibility, and we have been very active in that in terms of health, safety, in terms of buildings. And you, you've been around here long enough that you probably, Tim, remember the tunnel, which still exists, although it's blocked up. I've heard about it. Okay, you've heard the stories of it. Well, then let me take the a moment. subterranean effort to get around the buildings during winter weather. Yeah, and actually it was once great on a winter day. Went to have to put on your jacket and could walk between uh, Netzer, the administration building, and Schumacher and IRC. And that was just tremendous on a winter day yeah. when uh, the winds are blowing and uh, it's uh, Arctic cold and there's snow in the air and there's ice patches. However, there was a problem that we had uh, people who were reporting feeling of nausea and uh, illness really? and headaches. And we were able, in terms of our health safety responsibilities, to get in touch with the right people, uh, industrial hygienist, and to arrange, you know, for testing. However, I want to make clear, we've had good cooperation through the years with our facilities department, the SUNY Oneonta Facilities Department. We had a wonderful partnership with uh, Tom Rathbone, who we found to be very responsive. We, uh, our Lachlan Square is in his early first year or so in terms of director of facilities, but we've established a good relationship with Lachlan. Still, you know, in its early stages, but we had one that went back many years with Tom. I would go around on campus. He'd give me the golf cart tour and would stop (laughs) it. So when something came up, I would have a sense of what we were talking about. Although I must say, not Studio Three in the fine arts building. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is a great sound studio, but it's buried in the bowels of the building, and you've got to know where it is. I got lost here the first time coming to this studio as well. Great studio, though. Which takes me back to one of my initial union experiences in the broadcast industry when I was in radio and television and was a member of AFTRA, oh, right. the American Federation of TV and Radio Artists. And negotiated a contract with uh, uh, CBS 6 in Albany at that time. And um, uh, what it made me realize is that 
uh, private sector unions, of which that was one, uh, seem to be swimming upstream at this point in economic history, whereas public sector unions, of which you're a part, seem to have clearer sailing. What's, uh, why have unions in the private sector seem to have suffered uh, a near collapse? Yeah, that's uh, ironically that um, we don't usually think of the Eisenhower era as being one of strong unionism, but actually it was. Obviously, the great traumatic transformative uh, legislation and battles took place during FDR's time, Franklin Roosevelt's time, in the Great Depression, the forming of the CIO, for example, right. and the great sit-down strikes and the organizing of the unorganized. And uh, what happened over time in the uh, private sector uh, was, I think, that uh, public attitudes changed. Uh, I think that... Um, uh, resentments grew. Uh, I think that also that um, uh, we had the collapse of one of our great uh, bastions of strength in the private sector, and that was American manufacturing. Basically, that we lo- I mean, think of Flint. We lost yeah, the, the automobile, the, the automobile industry, and I, I think the automobile. That's you know, that's a useful reference to make. Tim, a poignant one because we think of the great strengths and the great leaders like Walter Ruther and the great rank and file that used to exist in the UAW. So I would think if I would have a a single cause, it would be the collapse of American manufacturing, the collapse of American industry. Uh, We've had outsourcing. We have had uh, technology that's taken away jobs. We have had globalization. So I think those would be the three greatest reasons and if you wanted to, I could talk about the potential impact uh, in terms of uh, private, in terms of uh, public education. But yes, they have suffered tremendous uh, losses. And uh, right now, ironically, the two, you named one of them, that's uh, public sector unions. The other area of significant strength that resides, ironically, is professional sports. That's right. <laughs> ironically. And if I might, I don't want to do a sedgeway and eat up our time, but, you know, ironically, there are areas in professional sport that bear, you know, particular notice because it's very easy to be dismissive and say, oh, these multi-million dollar athletes and um, this is why baseball has a mean age in terms of its active fandom of 57. You know, it's become irrelevant, too expensive and all. But, you know, in fact, not in this issue, but on the next one, I'll have Uh, an article that will touch on a couple of things that professional sports are, I think, notable. One, a uh, player who had less than four years, um, which is what's needed in Major League Baseball for vesting in terms of benefits, and sadly, because of uh, back surgery, somehow it was terribly botched, and his lungs were compromised, and he has air inhalation now that's equivalent to hospice levels. Really? And he just misses the threshold. So we have this image of all of them having uh, what we would consider magisterial salaries. Not all of them are encompassed in that. And, uh, and think of the minor leagues. I mean, the major leagues is just the you know tip. Uh, secondly, I would point out that um, an episode that actually kind of close to home that all major league caps were uh, manufactured in a plant just outside of Buffalo. Really? And they relo- yes, and they relocated to um, 
some Florida, non-union state, others overseas, and those jobs lost. I realize they aren't major league athletes, but if we believe in the solidarity, but to come back to ourselves. And I, the reason I kind of, you know, broad the broader picture, because we are the sisters and brothers of those who are still remain in private industry and are hurting. Uh, you know, we, one of our functions, too, is to be active politically. And I have gone through Scranton and Wilkesbury and Philadelphia and political campaigns. And if you like, we can talk about, you know, those functions in terms of unionism. And those areas are hurting in the private sector where they once had good, you know, uh, blue-collar jobs. Those are gone, many of them, most of them. And, uh, and again, I reference professional athletics. So why have we done pretty well? Well, we've fought fairly well. We've been fairly strategic. But we are about to face a very significant problem, and I think that we're ready for it. But it is going to be very difficult. And now the I've those been, I've been told that. Uh, let me guess that the problem is that the number of students graduating from high schools in New York State is going to be declining in the next several years. It, is that it, the problem it, you're it, referring it, to? Yeah, it is. It, that's one of them. And, you know, in about eight years, that's going to be uh, the case. We also have the Janus decision in June of 2018. Describe what that is. Uh, the Janus decision, if I could put it in shorthand, is a Supreme Court decision. And what it essentially says is that those who uh, are benefit by state negotiations uh, in terms of um, across the board, um, in terms of certain levels of benefits, uh, that those individuals can opt out of union membership. Now, oh, prior, that's right. now prior to this time, that because if someone benefits by union membership and union negotiations, it seems only fair that they pay part of the supportive uh, cost. Uh, we are solidarity. But in, in bottom line is what the Janus decision means is that someone can opt out. And someone might say, by the way, on our campus, 97% of the full-timers are members. Well, that's good to volunteer. hear. And so we haven't seen that yet. But that's a challenge that obviously is out there. And we also have people who, in this political context, are very uh, adamant, I think, in uh, weakening unions. We have been told, not in uh, Oneonta, but I've been told in certain locales that people have received phone calls and said, you know, you get a little bit more, you know, if you opt out of the union and if you don't pay your union dues, but they don't understand. And so we haven't seen that happening and having an impact yet. But the Koch brothers or their surrogates or their like-minded people, and the Koch brothers, of course, among those who are anti-union, and the movement is, is national, but we're a microcosm of that. So you're right, we have done pretty well, and UUP specifically has done well, and Public sector unions have so far still done pretty well, and education unions have done uh, pretty well. But there are challenges out there, and there is a kind of a zeitgeist. And then again, the globalization, the technology, um, that online teaching, yes. outsourcing, um, you can have uh, – so all of these, and as you say, the demographics. Now, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I want to put so much of my time and my energy – into this if I didn't believe it. And I'm optimistic. By the way, as a quick answer that I would have to someone who would be contemplating ending their union membership, our ability to get across the boards, our ability to maintain tenure, our ability 
to uh, have good medical benefits, our ability to protect your pension, those are dependent on us having a strong membership. So what anyone thinks that they may have is a very small gain by ending that would be more than offset by the losses that ultimately would occur in terms of salary, in terms of security, and in terms of benefits. But it's that message that needs to go out. And I think there is one more challenge, and that's cultural. I do think there is a certain reality to the bowling alone. And, you know, I look at our young people. It used to be when you'd walk in a classroom, uh, you know, initially before the instructor walked in, they'd be kind of like a buzz. They'd be having their side conversations and they'd, you know, stop, get ready for you. Um, but now that's not the case because what you might, you'll see almost all of them texting. They're all in their screens. They're not talking to one another. No. And then, you know, one of the things on off campus, I always used to enjoy hearing little side bits of, you know, conversations that were going on and seeing the animation and the interaction. And they're not interacting with one another either. So that um, there is a great change, you know, going on in America. Of course, they do have their own personal networks, don't they? They do. They and do. And I suppose it's a form of unionization. But one of the things that unions do, it creates solidarity. Somebody once said you can't fight City Hall alone. <laughs> and that I gave that pause for dramatic emphasis. And there are so many areas, whether we're talking about salary, whether we're talking about security, whether we're talking about office space, whether we're talking about benefits, whether we're talking about... Uh, information being accessible, whether we're talking about being able to influence political campaigns, uh, all of those come from us being able to organize. There have been times, Tim, you probably remember when we've had petitions. There are times when we've had presence on the quad. You may remember there was, uh, although I think the issue might have been resolved soon after you came, and that would be Labor Day. We used to teach on Labor Day. Yes, I did teach on Labor Day several years. And that's not appropriate. I mean, a, a kind of a basic line for respect for the I worker. I guess I was kind of surprised at that fact. But Well, we, as you may remember, that didn't just happen achieving the fact that we would have a proper recognition of Labor Day, uh, that we had a quad presence, we had petitions, we had articles, we had speakers, we had panels. You know, there were a whole variety of things that, you know, we did that didn't just come about. And most of the things that we've done uh, have come about through organization. Um, our ability to be prepared for a labor management meeting. And, Tim, you, you might have noticed you asked me also what are the things that we do. Well, one is that we have costs that are bringing out a monthly newsletter. And this is almost in the sense of a mini magazine. Uh, this particular... Uh, issue is 23 pages. We've had some that are 40 or more. Our next issue, I think, if the timing works, will publish our workload survey, That, uh, which is both, since you've taken it, you know, yeah, yeah. is both free response and statistical. And it and, seems like you'll get quite a bit of valuable information from that. I think um, we will. Because, you know, people were really able to anonymously and accurately give you information that uh, you might not otherwise know, not only about how they feel, about how they feel about who they're working for and with, and uh, whether or not it's interfering with the quality of education from their perspective. That's true. And uh, in order to be able to be part of a dialogue and not just have events happen and our members uh, not participate in that, uh, this survey and others that we've done, I think, are of real uh, significance. But one of the things, the cost of the survey, 
cost of uh, you know distribution and publication uh, of this. We have a very good person who does teaches about surveying and uh, canvassing and designing instruments professionally. Yeah, one of the things that she does, and that's Dr. Genting Wang, who you may know. Yes. And Genting, as she has in many cases, has led her, her surveys. Uh, the surveys have had credibility that we've done in the past with the administration. We've done them on quality of work. We've done them in terms of contingents. We've done them in terms of evaluating uh, certain offices, you know, on campus. And they have evaluate, They have merit because they're well done. They take a lot of time. And unless they're distributed and disseminated, uh, they, it's like if the tree falls in the forest, right? <laughs> so um, that would be something else that, you know, we do as well. We maintain an office on campus, actually in your building. Yep. In uh, the IRC, in the Instructional Resource Center uh, building. We, you know, are able to have a duplicating machine and to have a, a secretary because those of us who are union officers also have our day jobs as yes. well. So yes. that would be something else that union dues go into, uh, you know, someone to be able to um, keep our files, which are very important and confi- in some cases, you know, confidential, to direct people to the right officer that uh, uh, we speak to. Um, and again, I would kind of underline that one of the things we do that which you really haven't spoken about is we are, I think, the chief agent in terms of advocating for SUNY with the legislature. Well, that's true. You have a lobbying function that I think is uh, significant. And uh, I would imagine that these represent uh, pretty challenging times as well, Not the, notwithstanding the fact that 10 years ago the economy fell out of bed and it seemed like um, I had a little business back then and I never had a uh, a worse time in economic history than 2009. That was 10 years ago now. That's when the stock market hit its nadir in, in March of uh, um, 2009, and it has tripled in recovery since then. So it seems like time should be good right now. And it seems after 16 years, why are you quitting now? Are you Do you see something terrible on the horizon that I don't see? Well, no, first of all, I'm not, I'm not running for re-election as chapter president. But you're not quitting. Difference. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say 16 years as chapter president as, as doing that. No, that you've and done I, your time. I, That's for I, sure. You know, I, over, I ran in eight consecutive elections for chapter president put together, I think, uh, you know, a really good, great group of candidates. In many cases of those uh, uh, posts are uh, uh, competitive, uh, that the contested, you know, elections, excellent people uh, put together uh, – sessions to recruit people to run for office or open to all members to explain what the functions of offices were. So, no, I leave with a sense of, wow, what a great uh, run this has been. Uh, you know, in the past week, uh, I, you know, was in to see Senator Seward uh, to talk with him about our agenda, and I'd be happy to talk about the agenda if you'd like. We have a call in to uh, Assemblyman Salka, who is in his first uh, term, who took office in January, uh, to meet him. Uh, there was one year where I was in 80 different offices. So, no, my, uh, I mean, during the course of a legislative uh, session, uh, you know, during the spring budget uh, session one year, 80 different offices. That's mean 80 different trips to Albany because oftentimes we might have six or seven sure. different offices we may see in you a gotta single. Buttonhole all the day. assemblymen and the senators. Um, well, and their we, staff. We, we, again, we're, the UUP is the main vehicle 
for advocating for SUNY to the state legislature. The campuses, the administration, uh, is very well situated to deal with our state senator, our state assembly. And they always have good relations with the state, our state senator, our state assembly. But they're not organized to be across the board uh, to do that. UUP is. And if you might ask, well, what standing would I or someone from Purchase or Geneseo have going into an office from someone from Queens? Hey, we have your students in our classes. That's right. It's a statewide you know, organization. So although they have an interest in CUNY, they understand that their students also you know, go north. One-third of our students, almost one-third, come from Long Island alone. Absolutely. So we go into all, and by we, I don't mean just SUNY Oneonta, but we've been very active. Uh, we go into all offices. Again, the administration is, does a good job of dealing with our local legislators, and they do a good job on special projects. This building a few years ago was subject to special projects. But in terms of the across-the-board uh, you know, funding for SUNY, it's UUP that is the prime agency you know, for doing that. We go in, we're well-informed. It's another thing we need, uh, strong legislative research staff. When we go in and things can change sometimes, depending on where we are in the cycle, and you know this from your own career in radio, they can sometimes change on a weekly or even a daily basis, you know, where sure. things are or problems that are serving. We always go in, you know, well-equipped, well-briefed. And uh, we do have a legislative staff. We do do, you know, detailed budget analysis. And so right now we're obviously concerned with more full-time positions. We also want to obviously see uh, better treatment for our adjuncts, but we do want to see more full-time positions. Let me just positions. stop you there. It seems as though that is the bane of uh, um, those professionals who are in uh, the higher education business, if you will, is that so many, such a high percentage of the people who teach are contingent, are adjunct. What are you attempting to do about that? Trying to get good funding to you know be able to hire more, uh, more full time people. That uh, over time, you've seen um, a tremendous. Re- and by the way, first of all, I need to say, and you know this so well, uh, we have such tremendous people who are adjuncts, people who are well trained, people who are enthusiastic, people who are effective teachers. And uh, on, on this chapter, UUP Oneonta, that. Um, you know, we have, and, and throughout SUNY, we have, throughout UUP, we have a commitment, obviously, to our adjuncts. But we do need to see more full-time people. Uh, it's necessary in terms, because adjuncts oftentimes may have to hold more than one job, that they may be road scholars, but they're clearly road scholars, <laughs> yes. who in some cases may be going to two or three different places of employment, uh, and some of the things that, and I know you spend so much time on campus, Tim, but uh, it's difficult uh, for adjuncts to necessarily, and they don't have the office space to do that in some cases, to be here, to, at, to have that casual conversation in the library, at a ball game, uh, at, sure. the, at the coffee shop. Uh, some of the best conversations happen in impromptu circumstances. I'm walking by your office. I wasn't coming to see you. I was going somewhere else, but I see you're in, and we end up having something that a new line of work, uh, something I hadn't thought of, a new approach, something that really speaks to me and has a decisive, you know, impact up- upon me. So that we need this for fairness to the adjuncts. Uh, we at SUNY Oneonta are about 40 percent 
of our uh, teach our professionals, teaching teachers, faculty, our adjuncts. Some campuses it's higher. Some campuses oh, it's know. higher, significantly higher at some campuses. So there needs to be justice, obviously, for the workforce, because one of the things that we do is we're trying to role model lives that students would like to leave, live. And we're true. not doing our job unless we do that. Here's the light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to be contingent. You're not going to have security. You're going to be poorly paid. You're not going to have benefits. That's not much of a role model, no. is it, to provide? It's not a good selling point for the union either. Uh, and, or for the college. Or for well, New York. that's true. Or for New York. And yet, uh, the and yet that is uh, a statement of fact about higher education today is that a very well, high uh, percentage of those who teach, teach part-time. Yeah, and I think we never have to lose. We want to see our adjuncts do well. But we also want a higher percentage of full-time. But let me, I, I would be remiss if I didn't make it clear, this is not simply a New York State problem. This is certainly not simply a SUNY problem. This is a national problem. In fact, um, I'm not going to name the individual, but a friend of mine who, and I would consider him a friend who I've come to know uh, in another area, was going to, um, and he's done some interest, very interesting things in life and maybe even has a little bit of prominence. And he uh, taught recently as an adjunct somewhere else. And because of the fact that he has a, a certain, uh, oh, uh, reputation, and a positive one, a positive one, uh, and, and very good in his, his field. And I said, well, do you mind me asking what you got? And he said, uh, well, when I first, uh, you know, thought that it might be an interesting thing to do to take my what I do and to be able to teach it, he said, they offered me 2000 And I did a double take, and I says, wow. And he says, well, I said I was expecting somewhat more, and I got it up a little bit. Um, now, we need have a lot to do. But actually, if you look at where we are at SUNY Oneonta, when I became chapter president, our adjuncts were at 2250. Uh, we fought hard and we fought hard. Petitions. And when I went to the student association, they said, does this mean our tuitions are going to go up? And I said, no, it doesn't. I mean, every ally we got, every person we signed, came through some hard work. We got 1,300 petitions. People to sign. This didn't just happen. That exceeds our membership. And we had lots of conversations with people. So we went up to 2,500, and then we went up to 3,000. And we moved ahead in our sector. Is there much more that needs to be done? Yes. But let's take it on the level of full-time. Well, you know the reason why this has be happened in terms of uh, uh, nationwide. And it must underline nationwide this has happened. The reliance on adjuncts. Many tremendous adjuncts who do great work. But you need more full-time people. Who, are, who can be part of the larger college culture on a more ongoing basis, who are, not, who are able to center their professional activities on a single campus, who have the time to do research, who have the time to do additional service components. You need more full-time people. So why has not so much simply SUNY, but why has higher education? Well, you know the reason, containment of cost. That's right. That's the it's reason cheaper. that's happened. It's a lot cheaper the, per student to deliver it to a part-time person who costs less. We sometimes um, say with some wry humor, but some truth to it. When SUNY was founded, it was a New York State institution, and uh, it was tuition-free. Founded by founded under Governor Thomas E. Dewey. The normal 1948. school. Well, pre, you know, previous to the normal oh, school be, became, before. you know, this yeah, and right? and. Uh, 
the SUNY system was created in 1948. Right. And, and the normal school would, you know, date back to the late 19th century. But the SUNY system was created in 1948. So one WAG said uh, we began as a state-operated. Uh, then we became state-assisted. And now we're going in the direction we're going to be state-located. <laughs> In terms of the percentage of our operating funds that come from directly, I think it's down to twelve percent or something now, right? Right, and so that's the that's the real story, in terms of making commitment. The greatest commitment that a society can make is to its future, and the greatest capital that it has is human capital, and that's the message that we are trying to get out. That's one of the reasons why uh, we seek to be an active presence in the community. You may have noticed we return to Saturday's Bread, which is a local soup kitchen. We do that. Uh, We have been part of all sorts of different drives, uh, relief activities as far afield as uh, uh, Katrina. When that occurred, I lived with students in tent, you know, for a while. And uh, we've certainly within our own area when there's been flooding and other disasters. We do it, one, because it's right. It's the right thing to do. And, two, we're part of our community. And two, that the, think of what Oneonta would be, or any of the, SUNY, by the way, to a large degree, not exclusively. I'm aware of the huge schools at uh, Stony Brook. Uh, I'm aware of the presence at uh, Downstate in in Brooklyn. Um, You know, I'm aware of the Downstate. But to a large degree, SUNY is an upstate institution, not exclusively. But think of the locations. To a large degree it is. What would Oneonta be? What would Brockport be? What would Geneseo be? Uh, what would uh, Purchase be uh, without, what would Oswego be without a SUNY institution? We could go up and down Oneonta, and we'd be hard-pressed to find a street where there isn't someone who either themselves or has a relative or someone who's integral to their, their team, their structure, uh, their dynamic of how they, their lifestyle who isn't employed or, or go to the college as student, uh, working on maintenance, coaching, university police, uh, in uh, the registrar's office, in uh, alumni affairs, on the grounds crew, as an electrician, as a carpenter, as a, as a plumber. And so the economic it. ripple effect is significant. Significant. And, uh, and again, to invest within our future. Upstate, and again, I don't want to go far afield, but one of the things that we do is we are an advocate, you know, for our students. We are, we are this, we're committed to our students. We're committed to our schools. We're committed to our communities. And uh, upstate is hurting. And I think we need a greater investment. And we have allowed, as I say, from being state funded to being state assisted, and we're going in this figure that you cited, we're going, unfortunately, in the direction of being state located. I say that still where I can. Laugh, but the tr- truth is that there's a certain reality of direction to that, isn't there? And yes, that's there the is. and that's the real message, in in terms of of funding, we need to do that. We need to make that commitment to higher public, you know, education. And UUP is uh, is is central. We are the central advocate, uh, you know, for that. But we do need to build our alliances. We do go in and we make our case in the legislature. We have, you know, people in the legislature, or a number of them, who have been friends and allies in terms of the Sunni issue. We need to make our alliances with the downtown, 
was about to say with Main Street, but boy, Main Street has been hammered. I was about to say with the malls, but the malls have been, <laughs> you know, hammered too. It's an economy in flux, isn't it? Uh, well, if you live long enough, things will change. They will. Uh, but not necessarily for the worse. And I think that your 16-year commitment to the greater SUNY Oneonta community uh, is one to be thanked for your service. Well, thank you. And I appreciate, you know, today, uh, Tim, the opportunity for you and I to talk. And even though there are a number of things that we haven't talked By the way, for anybody who's interested, all they have to do is do uh, UUP Oneonta. It'll take them to the uh, chapter's website, and there is a section where the back issues of the Sentinel, because we're kind of, in a sense, in a broad overview, talking about certain selected areas of what UUP does. And they can read back issues of the Sentinel and get a sense of what a labor management meeting is like, what sorts of things are discussed, the types of programming that we have, the types of service, the type of legislative uh, agenda. Those it might be of some interest. But I really appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk about some of the history, some of the mark, some of the footprint, and also for you to allow me to talk a little bit about the future because, um, if anything, unions are more important. As the um, status of the American worker has become more vulnerable through globalization, through uh, technology, uh, through uh, changing patents, that if anything, the unions have become more important. And to those um, you know, people who say, well, look at these union guys, they have health benefits or they have pension, uh, I would point out and I would say, you're right. And the problem isn't that a union person might have, but that you don't, and let's work on that together. Thank you, Tim. Well said, Bill. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode in the SUNY Oneonta podcast called class talkers. Professor Bill Simons has been our guest today, and I hope you enjoyed what he had to say about the modern American labor movement. I'm Tim Welch.